All right, everybody, I am here today with Bob Lovinger. Bob is the president of FlexBuy. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm great, James. Thank you. Well, good. Well, so we're going to talk today about consumer financing. We've had a few episodes about it in the past, but it's it's been a while, Patty. Yeah, it has, and it's I, I think it's one of those one of those topics that keeps cropping up. Yes. At least it keeps pass, passing before my eyes. Yeah, so. it's definitely a trend. So, but before we do that, uh, Bob, we definitely want to get your story. I always love to hear kind of like, all right, how did you get into this? So, can you take us back a few years and walk us through what brought you to FlexBuy? Uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a very long story, James. Um, <laughs> we'll ta- you, we'll was, take the uh, Cliff Notes version. I actually went to college as an engineer, you know, for engineering. Sure. Um, I was an underachiever in, uh, in school, you know, in uh, high school. And I decided as because my guidance counselor told me I couldn't do it. I ended up going to engineering school. Of course. And uh, graduated <laughs> Uh, in in uh, four years, actually, I missed my graduation because that was my wedding day. Um, wow. So I had to. So I I got a job in engineering, and early on, I I I found out you know two things. One is um, there's a lot of smart people as engineers, and at best, I was going to be a mediocre engineer. And uh, second, um, I really didn't like corporate life. The company I was working for. Um, was going to move the facility, move, you know, move people to, you know, to a, another state. Right, and, right. and I saw engineers that were with the company for 25 years, you know, have human resources come to their desk, you know, with a box and, you know, no, no warning. And they had to fill up their box and leave. And I yeah. said, you know what, this right. is not, this is not the life for me, but, um, you know, like that, that's what I did, but I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And, um, I, I you know, one night I was listening to a, um, a, uh, infomercial on how to buy, you know, how to buy homes, you know, with no, with no money down. Right. Right. And uh, so I said, you know what, this sounds easy. And you know, I was young at the time. I said, you know, let me go out, let me go out and do that. And I did it. And uh, I went into contract, you know, I went to contract with the house and I met up with a guy who was in the mortgage business and it was really a, f- a fledgling mortgage business, you know, mortgage industry at that time. Right. And, um, you know, I, I became friendly with the guy. As it turned out, the house I was buying burned down. Ooh. I never bought the house. Good. But at the end of the process, the guy said, you know, why don't you, you know, do, you know, do some mortgages on the side. So when my gig ended at the, you know, at, you know, at the engineering job, I said, you know, I'm young. This is as good a time as any. Let me try. Let Something me try new. getting in, into sure. mortgages. And um, so that's how I got into the finance business. I started doing mortgages and I was in that business for a while. Then I went into uh, financial counseling, financial services, and I spent my whole my whole career there. And I had I had triumphs and, um, and, and, and major failures. You would need an hour just to go over all those, but, uh, I'll give you the cliff note version. But in uh, 2010, um, I was at a trans, I was in, in a transition point and, uh, somebody introduced me to this concept. I never knew anything about, uh, customer financing or consumer financing or whatever you were calling it. Um, and, you know, I said, you know, this is an interesting idea. I noticed that, you know, people after, after the financial crash, people didn't have as, as much money in their pocket anymore. Their credit cards, it, you know, met, often were slashed. They didn't have, the, you know, the, the, the spending, limit, you know, spending uh, ability anymore. People just couldn't do it. And very few businesses had financing. Of course, you know, the, the big box stores and, and certain niches, if you went to a doctor's, you know, a care credit um, right. it was, you know, you know. I was there, but very few business had, uh, had financing. I said, there's an opportunity here. So I, I hooked up with the company. I started selling their product and, uh, I was able to sell it, but it was, and you know, back then 
um, ISOs, you know, credit card processors were still making money selling, you know, leasing terminals. Sure. And that was the concept of this one product is, you know, the idea was the product, you know, the, the financing product was okay, but the big hit was, you know, lease this lease this terminal and make $2,000. And that's, right. and that's what the premise of that, of that business was. And I sure. didn't feel great about it. And I jumped around to other products. And um, in about 2014, I, I launched FlexBuy. And, you know, the concept, my concept of FlexBuy was I really wanted to uh, democratize customer financing. You know, I, I, I looked at, I, I, I looked around, I said, you know, 80 to 90% of businesses just don't have financing in place. Right. And I said, I know I can do this. I know I can figure out a way to make it where even that home improvement guy that may only have a $10,000 job every three months, but damn, that's an, that's an important job to them. And if that person doesn't have the money to do it, if he had financing available sure. to him, um, it would make a, a huge difference. So I set out to, you know, I set out to uh, do that. And, um, you know, three iterations later of the products, multiple iterations of the, of my pricing, I'm here. I'm here today, and we have you know thousands of merchants on our you know uh, on board with us, and um, you great. know I'm proud of what we've done. We built we built a product that really democratizes it. it. You know we really can help every business that we want to help. Sure. So so let's let's dive in a little bit deeper to kind of the overall concept because you know one of the things I've started uh, asking at the beginning of these interviews is why should our listeners care about this? And and the reason I'm asking that question is because a lot of times, you know, we're talking about other products and services like today because they're out selling merchant services as a general rule. It's agents, it's ISOs. Right. But this is an interesting trend. There's some cool stuff. I, I actually read some stuff on your website about it. So can you talk to us about, you know, I'm an individual sales rep selling merchant services or I'm an ISO with a team of agents. Why should I care about consumer financing? There are three, you know, three ways to look at at consumer financing. One is it's a great door opener, right? So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a business today, you're probably getting five calls a month easily for people trying to save you a nickel on your, on your credit card processing. Sure. Customer financing is another way of, get, of getting someone's attention. You know what? And let's face it. If you're in sales, the first step is you have to get their attention. Sure. You have mm -hmm. to shake them. You have to, you know, you have to make them make, you know, get them to, uh, to uh, listen to you. The second angle is it's value added, right? It, it, it creates stickiness. So if you already have a client, if you already have somebody that you're working with, you know that somebody's going to be calling them to save them a nickel. What better way to keep them than to offer them other products that, that keep them uh, engaged with you? Um, right. So, right. you know, there's, there's a stickiness to customer financing because now they have another thing that they're, that, that they're getting from you. And then the third, the third reason is commissions, obviously. It is, it is, it is a revenue generator. If you're a salesperson, um, you know, it's a numbers game. This is a residual play. So it's, you know, you may submit 10 accounts to us and it's going to, it's going to bring you a little, but that 11th account may be that merchant that does $150,000 a month in financing. And that can mean some big, some, uh, you know, some big numbers. Let, let, let me just ask you, if you don't mind, um, you know, when you talk about the democratization, I mean, that's a really cool term, but it, are we democratize, are you democratizing for the merchant, for the consumer, or both? You see, and, and, and I guess to, to, to just sort of add on to that, okay, I can see a perfect example. Uh, I was just telling James I need to repair my roof, right? Right. And that's a huge expense. Um and I've looked online, you know, when I'm looking at a couple of roofers, and one of my first things was, who's offering financing? 
Sure. Right? And well, I was surprised how few were, but it would seem to me that something like this would be, you know... Right, ideal. Ideal, especially for these small, you know, not the big national chains, right? That's a great, that's a great question, Patty. You know, um, it's both, really. I mean, my initial thought was democratizing it for businesses because... In, you know, in the case of, you know, you're looking for a roof, those, that, that, you know, $5 million a year company that's doing roofing, that's doing general contracting, may have a financing in place. They may not have a broad range of it. They may have a Wells Fargo who's looking for people right. with 680 FICO scores, but they have some financing, you know, in place. The one truck Chuck guy, the guy who's the, you know, and which is the majority of all industries, right. you know, especially in home improvement, sure. they don't have financing. Nobody's ever offered, to the, offered it, uh, you know, a, uh, to them, right. they always assumed it wasn't available available to them. The same thing on the consumer side. So you're not unusual. Seventy percent of people that ultimately use financing searched for it before they actually purchased their product or sale. Mm-hmm. So what happens is if you're if you're a consumer and you know you have to get something done, if it's you know whether it's doing a roof or or, or something that you want to get done like a fence, and you know that either a you don't have the money in the bank to pay for it, or B, you don't want to exhaust your existing credit cards. Right, right. And so, you know, you'd, ra- you'd rather use financing. You're going to go online and do exactly what you did and search for those businesses that offer financing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it really democratizes both. But, you know, my, my, my concept was I really want to hit all these businesses and not only the small businesses that, you know, that we mentioned, right. but there's also categories of businesses that, you know, are considered maybe higher risk that never had it offered to them mm-hmm. that really, really, you know, need, need it badly. So, you know, we set out to develop it and it wasn't easy. Um, you know, most of the individual lenders would do vetting and, you know, a lot of them want to see you in business for a year or two. They want to see a minimum revenue of 500,000 or a million dollars. They, you know, they'll, right. they'll, they'll check you inside and out to certain verticals that they won't even touch. Sure. So to build, to build product, to handle it all, um, was, you know, was difficult. And we ultimately did it. We have a platform that, uh, a multi-lender platform that we can basically install any place, any place we want. And it, it's great for those small businesses and those oddball verticals. You know, what's funny, I, I, like while we're talking about this, Bob, I'm, I'm actually thinking about this story from just two days ago on Monday. So I'm, I don't normally borrow money very much. Right. And uh, I, I have a secretary that does like my personal finances. Right. Mm-hmm. So she has my credit card. Like right. my, I have this one, like, you know, my main credit card, we used to pay all the bills and all that. Right. And so it's so funny because my wife and I, we were out shopping to get some clothes for our kids and this, we were at Boscov's uh-huh. and they also have furniture. Sure. Well, lo and behold, we see a four thousand dollar furniture set that we really liked, <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, let's buy it, you know. And so, uh, and then all of a sudden, I said, well, hold on a second, I'm trying to remember. I have my debit card, and I have like, you know, don't have quite four thousand in that bank account, my checking account. Right. Somebody else has my credit card. I don't have access to my savings. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I actually going to pay for this thing? And then, of course, guess what? Boscov's person says to me, "We have consumer financing." And uh-huh. I was like, "Well, as long as I pay it off in like three Six days or, or whatever, whatever, I won't have yeah, any interest." So like, yeah, right. you can pay it off next week and no interest. I'm like, okay, cool. So it was so funny because even like the big store like that, mm-hmm. and somebody like me that is not normally in the market for a consumer finance deal, right? Like they just made four thousand dollars in revenue off me because they had consumer financing. Yeah. So I think uh, oh, you know, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, that's a very yeah, cool. Is. Did you the kids what, get their clothes? Know. They did. They, okay. they got the clothes and the couches. <laughs> <laughs> you, go. so. you know, and the interesting uh, thing is, you know, as we found out last year when the government had that 
that shutdown, that shutdown. Right. you know, almost 50 percent of people living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Yeah, so right. you're the minority. Most people do not have any money in, you know, in the bank. Right. Uh, so if they if they're missing a paycheck, they're not feeding their family, as we found out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, buying furniture is something that they really need credit. Now, the savvy consumer um, knows that. You know, the worst thing you can do to if you know if you're if you're tied into your credit score, that's very important to you. If you max out your credit card, your credit right. score is going to take you know take a, a nosedive. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you know, putting taking out financing that's specifically that's you know whether it's an installment loan or something like that that actually helps your credit. So once you start making payments True. on that loan, it actually improves your credit and doesn't give you that ding of using up your credit line balances. Sure. So, okay. So Bob, I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about business types that have a higher average ticket. Is there any kind of more advice or things you could tell us about like which verticals are going for these uh, consumer financing options right now? We have, I, you know, when I literally say we have every vertical, I mean, I get, we get some, some um, businesses that I said, I didn't even know this type of thing exists. So, you know, but we get, you know, we get them all, but a lot of it in the service sector. So like we said, home improvement, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are companies out there um, that, you know, fairly large finance companies that focus on home improvement, but they're looking for the larger companies. So home improvement is a great sector. We do great things in the, in other service areas. We have attorneys are a big category for us, for instance, you know, I mean, that's a a lot of money. Yeah, that's a good one. That's an obvious category, right? All of a sudden. Your your 18 year old son has a DUI, and that's a five thousand dollar price ticket. And you're going to a lawyer. Mm. You know what? That lawyer, if if that if if that client that person doesn't have five thousand dollars, here's what the lawyer has to think about: Do I either turn that client that person away, or do I work out a payment plan and hope that my payment plan outlasts the case? Right. Because once the case is over, you're not getting paid anymore. So you know, attorney financing is great. We do a lot with (laughs) things that you know timeshares and coaching program. We have coaching. I was in, I was in New York city last weekend, um, presenting at a conference of someone who actually teaches people how to coach. So they, you know, these people <laughs> are setting up individual, all sure. different kind of coaching, but she teaches them how to coach. And, you know, I was in front of an audience of three, 400 people and, you know, trying to get them to understand that you're going to need this because if you're charging $5,000, the, the majority of the people you want to sell to are wondering, how am I going to pay for this? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at, I was just looking at your website while you were talking, Bob, and one of the ones that jumped out at me that I never would have expected is musical instruments. But then I started thinking, yeah, oh, you got yeah. a kid you that get needs your a, kids a trombone or whatever. Or, or a piano. I mean, oh, pianos yeah. can be really expensive, so, right? Here's an interesting one. And, you know, you'll see this in our case studies on, on, on our website, um, um, uh, youth sports. You know, some of these youth sports programs Are cost expensive. thousands and yeah. thousands and thousands. Yeah. Sure. We, have a, we have one client. They don't do a lot, you know, because you would think, you would hope that most parents that are putting these kids in their ex- these expensive programs probably have the, have the wherewithal. But, you would hope. But, um, but, but you know, we get, we get this one business that does them, and when they do them, they're $12,000, $15,000 packages. I mean, they charge yeah. a lot of money. Well, you so, know, you I know, dance yeah. is another one. I have a niece who, you know, does yeah. all these dance classes and has to be in all these competitions right. and right. they have to buy all these outfits. Uh, huh. That, what I could see, would be similar to the sports. I mean, it's probably not 10000 yeah. but several thousand. Yeah. And that's what I meant about, you know, about democratizing this, right? So, right. you know, sure. we search very high. If you search for customer financing, we, you know, we're, we appear higher than PayPal and, and, and some of the other, you know, finance options out there for, you know, uh, 
other people and 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 they find us we get you know 10 to 15 leads a day coming off wow. of google of businesses that say you know what i'm new i can't you know nobody's giving me financing can you help me or you know i work from home i have a home-based business nobody's giving me financing can you help me and yeah we could help all those businesses and those are two examples right so even if you have a fur- if you're opening up a furniture store and furniture stores is have have had financing forever right right you know, sure um yeah you know, Progressive has been in the business for a million years, offering their lease to own, and there's and there's at least ten lease to no lease credit to check, own, you know, right. lease, lease lease to own products and synchronies there, and there's other people. But if you're a brand new business starting out, and if you don't have a tremendously long track record, even those companies, you know, don't want you. So you're sure. scrambling around and and um, you know and, trying to and, compete. You know, it's, yeah, trying to compete, and you're trying to compete against those big box stores that offer everything under the sun, and you're hoping you could just offer something, you right, know. So, right, right. Um, so we have, you know, we have all kinds of programs. We even have payment plan options for people. So we have a structured, we call it the Easy Pay Plan. So some industries, like lawyers, for example, um, you know, their clients could get turned down for our financing. We don't have a perfect record on on applications, so they could still get turned down for financing. We have an Easy Pay Plan in-house a financing option that businesses can offer their customers where, where we will actually do all the management of the payments for them. It's set up like a regular loan. They sure. sign, you know, they sign, they, they sign loan, oh. a loan papers. But the business manage- is taking the risk instead of the finance company. Yeah. And even in some yeah, industries, that's a great idea. We'll, sure. We'll, in some industries, we'll actually guarantee those payments like in medical um, and, you know, in the medical industry, they, they, they still won't get the money until the payment is due, but we'll guarantee those payments even if, even if, the, um, hmm. even if the consumer you know, stops making them. And, and to do that, I would presume that, I mean, you just don't do that with any consumer. They have to have a decent kind of credit rating, right? Or do you not no, do a credit no, check at all? No, it's no credit check. That particular program is based more on the relationship between the, you know, the, the doctor in this case and, and, and the patient. So the amount we'll guarantee will vary depending on a few different things, but all, all that, that program is entirely no credit check. It's based, it's okay. based entirely on other things. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the other programs, I mean, there's, there's, there's a no credit check category out there, you know, like I right. said, the least own sure. category is no credit check. Although most of them, you know, we have we have some no credit check options where our approval rate on our credit check options are higher than the than the than the approval rate on the no credit check because they really dig deep into the person's. That's what I was going to you know? ask so, you, right? So, like, yeah. you do a lot. Of, there's a lot of information you can get on people without doing a credit check. I mean, I right. you know, sure. uh, check cashers do that a lot as well. Oh yeah, you can dig. Right. You know, and you know, and 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 you know. The, um, that same thing also makes fraud very high as well because, sure. you, know, you know, somebody once told me, I had a banker in here once, you know, one, one of these no credit check people, and they said, you know, for $50, you can buy someone's entire credit profile, social security number, and driver's license and take, and take their identity. There's Whoa. a black market out there where people can totally steal your, your yeah, identity. Yeah, I know that. But, you know, but these no credit check programs do a deep dive. And, as, as, right. as they, deep have, they have they to make do. sure that they're not getting one of those people. Yeah, and you know what? And I hate to say it, but there's some uh, some of the merchants in the industry are also very smart as well. You know, if they're having sure. a slow month. You know, they'll they'll they'll, they'll find some you know some uh, straw buyers to come in and buy their furniture. You know, so wow. um, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's you know it's predominant, but it does happen. It does happen? Yeah, sure, sure. Now, one of the other verticals, just to touch on one other one, I would imagine this would be really interesting in kind of the auto repair transmission, like like you know what I mean, like like major auto repair. Is that is that also a vertical yeah. that you see a lot? Yeah, that's something that we're strong at. Auto repair is interesting. When I first got into the business way back, when I was 
selling that one that you know that one product. Um, auto repair, and I and I and I and I was literally to learn you know to learn the business. I went door to door. I got in my car and I stopped at you know at businesses. And auto repair was always a good one to stop into because often it was easy to talk to the business owner. Right. If he wasn't under right. a car fixing fixing the car, he's definitely in you know definitely right. in the he's shop. There. Sure. The you know the challenge with auto repair is. Getting them, and this is true with all of our, you know, merchants for the most part. Getting them to 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 want to dive into this, right? So, um, you know, these, you know, professionals, whether it's an auto repair person, a home improvement person, they're good at their at, at, at the thing that they do. Right. They're not finance people. They don't right. always necessarily want to get involved in people's finances. Often, you know, they'll they'll say, you know, I just I just don't want to I, I just don't want to bother and they won't offer financing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our goal at FlexBuy is and, and it's a constant it's a constant goal and constant, you know, trying to improve is to make it easier and easier for merchants to use the program because that is the key to this. The right. key is if you if you people, you know, in, in general, people don't want to learn new things. You know, they're resistant sure. to, sure. you know, to a new things. And then when you add in the, that they're busy, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And that's why we have a, you know, a full support staff here. I have a concierge program. So when somebody signs up with us, we'll roll up their sleeves to, to help them best use the program, you know, so sure. how to implement know, it and so forth. Sure. How to implement it into their business Market practices. It. Because, right. because, you know, because, you know, here's an example, you know, there's, most businesses that use financing, and this works in the furniture store, you don't have to do very much. There's a sign up, you know, in the store financing available. So, you know, that's, that's all you do. And that's, that, that's good. A better way to do it, though, is to incorporate the financing into your advertising, right? Right. Yeah, your, course, sure. your, ISOs, your ISOs don't have to advertise. You know, the, your, your ISOs clients don't have to advertise that they offer um, credit card processing. It's pretty much assumed, right? But, but financing is not, it, it's not assumed. So people that are looking, if, you, if your car breaks down or your roof goes, you, you may go online or you may go to one of those circulars that come to your house every, every week. And if you see an ad that says financing available or flexible financing, you know, whatever the term may be, you know, that's, you know, that's a, you know, that's right. much, 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 much better. And then, you know, the best way to do it is to really be proactive and really go out there and really, um, you know, really market the heck out of the financing because it is a hook. You know, people that understand the the statistics, uh, you know, about about you know p- uh, about people and their habits mm-hmm. know that financing is definitely a hook. And the quicker, the earlier they get to them in the process, even if it's not something that you know they're doing right now, it's something they may they know they're going to need. You know, they're going to need in the future, like auto repair. They right. may cut out an ad and stick it on on the refrigerator knowing that this, might, right. this, this will one's got one financing. Day. Right, sure. right, sure. So I, I was going to dive into kind of the consumer experience. I, I think I think everybody's got a pretty good understanding of this process. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down in, in 30 seconds, and then, Bob, you correct me if I'm, I'm missing something. But, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, a consumer walks into a, a physical location business or potentially even uh, looking at some kind of an online thing, and they want to buy something. They don't have the money. They fill out something similar to, like, uh, an application, like for a new credit card, something along those lines, and then Right there on the spot, the business owner is able to enter that data into some type of a terminal device, and then they get back approved or declined, and they can immediately offer this person financing. Is that is that roughly correct, or what did I miss? Yeah, no, you know, it really depends on which product of ours they have. We have uh, multiple platforms, so sure. you know the the trend now is not just offer one lender, offer multiple lenders. You know, so okay. one application goes out to multiple lenders. Gotcha. But basically, yeah. basically, you know, that's the way it works. 
you know, all of our stuff is is online. We give we give each merchant a customized loan application splash page. They can they can get banners. They can point people to it. They you know once they get to their store, whether it's in the store, whether it's at home, they they go to the um you know to the application. They fill out the application. It takes three you know th- you know three minutes. Within a matter of seconds, it gets sent out to anywhere from five to ten lenders. Almost instantaneously, any offers come back, whether you're approved, turned down, you know, or whatever. And then the consumer, depending on the product, um, some some are are consumer driven, which means the consumer decides, yes, I'm going to take it or not take it. Some are merchant driven, which which is the merchant deciding whether they're going to offer it or not. So it really depends uh, on the platform, on the platform and the vertical. But um, it's really it's really instantaneous as far as knowing whether you have someone that can get financing. So, okay, so then let's flip to the other side, which I think is the more interesting one for our audience, which is the merchant experience. So help our help our listeners kind of understand this a little bit better because we, we need to understand the economics. I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this is not the kind of thing as, as a general rule. I mean, this is costing the merchant something, right? Like either they're not getting the full amount or they're paying some fees to facilitate. Like there is a cost to the merchant to have these programs. Am I right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, so, okay, let me step back to our so when, when a merchant signs up with us we have an enrollment fee okay. $240 it's a one time uh, uh, sure uh, fee we build out their environment we build out their loan environment we build out their CRM their you know their portal the, we give them the tra- uh, orientation we give them the concierge everything for 240 um, they also pay us a $59 per month subscription fee and we do something very different with our subscription fee we actually will rebate that back against usage so we, as far as That's I know, cool. we're the only ones that do it because the ultimate goal of our program is to get merchants to actually use use the program. So, you know, in the in, in the example I gave earlier of that home improvement guy that only may need it once every three months, if he does it, use it, if he uses it once every three months and he's paid in three fifty nine dollar payments, we're going to you know deduct those $59 payments against the funding fee that's deducted huh. from his, oh, that's from okay, his that's product. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, so it so, really, it really so, acts more like a monthly minimum in, in our industry. We would, you know, merchant services, right. a lot of, a lot of processors say there's a $25 monthly minimum, but as long as you're, as long as your, you know, basis points of markup are greater than 25, you don't have to pay it. It sounds like it kind of yeah. works a little bit like that. And I used to have that. And, but now what I do is it's a lifetime, it's a lifetime rebate. So if, if somebody doesn't use it for a year, I'm going to rebate, you know, if they start using the program, I'll start rebating all the $59 fees. It does two things. It keeps them on the program, sure. you know, because let's face it, they have something now at stake. Um, second thing is it really shows them our, our sincerity as far as this is how we make our money. We want you to use, you know, we want you to use the program. The subscription fee is necessary because we have a, a robust support staff. We have sure, to keep things going here and, you know, support ev- every merchant. But we really want you to use the program. So back to your original question, let's take a you know, look at that roofer. That roofer, the, the product that we give them um, for the small roofing companies is a multi-lender platform where – the money goes to the consumer and who, you know, who then pays, who then pay, pays the merchant. So it's usually, it's like a one to three day process, which is good in, in service businesses. We, we offer that to a, a lot of service businesses. Um, we charge 3.9% of the funding amount or the, or the invoice amount, whichever is lower. So to the merchant, let's say to the case, merchant right? To the merchant. The merchant is our, is our clients. The merchant is right. our, is our client. So just same thing as a swipe. So let's say you have a consumer who needs a $5,000 roof. They put an application in, they get offers. They end up borrowing $10,000 because the, you know, they decide they want to go on a vacation, you know, um, uh, uh, in, 
they want to go on vacation uh, as In addition well. to the roof, yeah, so sure. We only build a merchant based on the five thousand. On vacation while the roof's being put on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we only build a merchant on the five thousand dollar invoice. So okay. it works out very well. And that program, you know, if it's direct to consumer. We have a robust infrastructure behind it. We we're supporting the application, the applicant, the merchant. We're really, you know, deep involved. Our attrition rate, and that's one of the things that merchants says. Well, what happens if the consumer takes the money and you know does take a vacation and never and never pays me? Um, our attrition rate is less than five. Five percent. So over ninety-five percent of the time, the money ends up exactly where it's supposed to end up, and that's because of the system we have that we that we have behind it. So um, our three point nine percent industry-wide is on the lower end, you know, as far as discounts go. Sure. Um, and we have a and we have other programs as well that have higher and lower discounts, you know, ac- across the board depending on the vertical. So so what about the the ISO and the agent? Where 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 does where where's the uh, revenue flow for them? So they get paid on the uh, enrollment. We have three um, ways they, they they can participate. So over the years, I've learned that you know there's different levels of interest as far as as far as salespeople go. Some salespeople want to roll up their sleeves and learn everything. You know, we have an agent resources with you know probably 40 hours of video and all kinds of stuff back there that they can learn. And we have some you know salespeople that only want to do it after they've learned everything. You know, so we have one model for those people. We have a second model for those salespeople that says, I want to just, I just want to identify, you know, opportunities sure. and then send it to you and then have you sell it. Right. And then, then we have the third opportunity where we have salespeople in, in, in different industries that say, you know what, I just want to stick a banner on my, on my website and whoever clicks it, I want to, you know, we have an affiliate sure. program software that will, that, right. that will track that would track the clicks. So we have three different opportunities. So they all get paid on the enrollment fee and it will be anywhere from $100 to $200 on every new merchant. And they all get paid on the, on the residual, which will be anywhere from 25% to 50% of the net of the net. So for, for a sales partner, um, they'll typically get on our core program, the one I mentioned, they'll get about a 2% commission on um, 200 basis points on every funded loan. So it's a nice, it's wow. a nice, it's a nice. a nice commission. I mean, you know? that could so, end up being. I mean, really, even on a even thousand dollar loan, that's you know, twenty bucks. But 20 I mean, bucks. it's like to me, even on a even on a merchant that's only doing one of these deals a month. What what is the average funded amount? Is it five thousand, ten thousand? What's the average funded well, amount? The, yeah, great question. So our average funding amount is eight thousand dollars. Our, our average invoice billable amount yeah. is about six thousand dollars. So sure. you know, it's it's one hundred and twenty bucks for a salesperson. You know, you don't need a lot of those accounts. No. To, you know, to make a nice you know to make a nice living and yeah. and there's some i mean we have um you know we have 10 million dollar businesses i mean so we have like i said it's democratizing so we have businesses that are very small and then we have businesses that love our platform and they're very large businesses you know that use it mm. as well so you know if you're if, if you're an iso and you're and, and you're out there you'll make money every time you give us a client and then after that it's just a numbers game you got to get those accounts in and the same thing right. it's the same thing it's, in, in credit card same as processing you know, you, exactly yeah you, you know you you know you bring in a lot of the small ones you get small and then all of a sudden you hit that big one and that that, that becomes your base but right. you know it's, it's interesting though i mean i'm kind of running the numbers in my head here and i mean i i'm really having a hard time imagining that your average merchant is going to make you less than 100 bucks a month i mean i would think probably for a rep it's going to be somewhere above that which is really above i mean we have reps that of course would sell like cash discount or surcharge right. where it might be a little higher average but i mean 100 bucks a month is nothing to sneeze at that's yeah. a good solid especially you know, if you yeah. have a dozen merchants well yeah right? you sign up 50 of these people and you got five grand a month or whatever right. and, and i would think well, that's on the lower side right 
And that's the way to look at it. The way to look at it is because if you, if you give us 10, 10 accounts, eight of them may not use it in every given month because right. of the nature of sure. who we're going after. But it, it, it's a rolling game. But so your average yeah, of $100 is probably a realistic expectation, um, mm-hmm. you know, as far as if you bring in enough, a, a big enough, you know, a portfolio. I mean, we have some, right. we've had some sales partners who, you know, gave us two or three accounts and weren't making right. any money and said, this doesn't, this doesn't work. I quit, you know. Um, you know, it takes more than two or three accounts. You have sure. to, you know, unless right. you get you lucky, you make it, you know, you may get lucky and just hit it, you know, just hit it right. Huh. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Okay, cool. So yeah, this has really been, uh, this is a lot of good information. Actually, yeah, it's, a lot of good information. It's, uh, it's so funny because it's like this particular industry, Bob, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't pop up that much for me, no. but then whenever it does, I'm always like, wow, like, why isn't everybody selling this? This uh-huh. is a, because to me too, the one thing I like about this is from a sales perspective, it's like, this is a really good fit with merchant services. A right. lot of the stuff that's, you know, ancillary, it's kind of like, well, you sell merchant services and then because you have this relationship, you sell this totally different thing. Correct. This is like, we want you to be able to accept all forms of payment. We want you to be able to make as much money as you possibly can. Right. We're just yeah. helping you accept money here. Yeah. So you can accept well, Visa, you can accept MasterCard, and guess what? We're going to help you through FlexBuy to accept your own form of payment, you know, mm-hmm. your own financing option. Well, right. you know, the theme has to be, you know, you have to think back to, and I'm, I'm not quite old enough you know, to remember the when credit cards first came into the picture, almost, but not, you know, uh, but sure. not. Yeah, I think I, I think but I vaguely remember that. <laughs> uh, you know, initially, credit cards was a commodity. Not every not every business offered off, offered right. credit cards. You right. Know? So, so you know, the way people have to look at this is, I you know, I want to help my client be able to capture every sale, and to really do yeah. that, you have to accommodate those people that are unbanked or underbanked mm-hmm. or just may not have credit card. You know, there's some people that, you know, philosophically, they just don't walk around with credit cards. They're still, they're still burned by, you know, by the, by the, by the crash. crash. So they don't walk right. around you know, with credit card. So you have to be able to offer, because right. the worst thing that happens that can happen is, is that you've exhausted all the options and they're no longer, you know, they're not going to be a customer, but the earlier you, you know, you come to that conclusion, you're going to miss out. So mm-hmm. if you don't offer credit cards, you're going to miss out on all those people that don't have cash. If you only offer credit cards and, and cash and credit cards, you're going to miss out on all those people that would, that would buy if you offered financing. So, you know, and then if you don't offer the payment plan option, you're going to miss out on people that don't you know, qualify for, for consumer finance. Qualify. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Don't, you know, so you want to be sure. able to keep on saying, I want to, I want to lower this net, you know, further. Yeah, right. and I think that the other thing that you mentioned that I hadn't really thought of before as far as an angle with this is the marketing angle, which is it totally makes sense. I mean, if, if I'm a business selling any kind of high-ticket item, you know, I definitely on my Google Maps listing want to have flexible financing sure or, or whatever. Like, that's you're right. I mean, people are searching for stuff, and when they see that and they go, oh, wait a second, so I don't have to max out my credit card to go buy this yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm going to look at this one a little closer. Right. That's, right? that's yeah. huge. So Awesome. So, Bob, great information. I know there's a lot of agents and ISOs listening that are like, cool, I want to get into this business and I want to learn more about mm-hmm. FlexBuy, where would you send them? Well, you can send them. They can go to the website you know, to learn everything uh, as, much as, as much as I put out there, FlexBuy.com. And that's a two um, X. They that's, want to, that has two X's. So it's F-L-E-X-X-B-U-Y.com. Yes. Exactly. Good. Um, okay. If they want to speak to someone, they can email. I'll give them, I'll give them you know, my email address. I may not be the one to speak to them, but I'll get them you know, to, sure. to the right person. My email address is BobL at FlexBuy.com. Awesome. Um, and we're also building out a new partner page. Hopefully, by the time this airs, we'll have a new partner uh, page up, and they can go to flexbuy.com forward slash partner dash program. Got it. Got it. Partner dash program. Got it. Okay, awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, really, really Thanks appreciate it. Me. Lots this of great info. Lots of great info. Thanks, Bob. 
This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. So uh, today I want to talk about um, some small business insights from Wampley, the uh, CRM intelligence platform. Sure. They just published their state of uh, local retail report. And the report draws on analyses of traffic at 52,000 retail locations in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. Wow. And it, you know, analyzes spending patterns at these small independent stores. Sure. Um, 52,000 is a fairly good Yeah, Wompley's doing pretty good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking exactly when I saw that, you know. Yeah, I've always liked Wompley, so yeah. it's a nice, nice little plug for them. Yeah, nice to see that they're doing well. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> the report um, found that nationally, local retailers see an average of 13 transactions a day that average $74.65 each, which results in daily average revenue of $961. Huh, that actually kind of surprises me a little bit. I thought it would have been higher, wouldn't you? I would have thought the number of transactions would have been That's higher. That's exactly what I thought, yeah. And I thought that the, I mean, the thing that's so interesting statistically about an average is, you know, the way you come up with an average. Exactly, sure. You know, in other words, who knows how many, mer- I mean, the number of transactions is interesting. The, the average transaction size, I'm not surprised because that means there's lots of businesses that are really low. Right. And there's lots of businesses that, that are, are really, really high, big. that are really, really high, like 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, right. right? Right. So averaging 7,465 is like, okay, that I'm not surprised. 13, 13 transactions a transactions. day. I mean, boy, I mean, you know, you'd have to statistically there, I mean, that means there's a lot of businesses out that there are that only are doing, doing one or two transactions, yeah. and that's what really surprised me. You know, you know because you'd, you'd I, almost have to you'd almost have to split it up into like quartiles of like because the question is are the are the you know of the businesses that are doing less than five transactions a day, what is their average ticket? Right, and it's, of the businesses doing more than fifty transactions a day, what's their average ticket? If there's a huge disparity there, then that's also really interesting. Yeah, because it would seem to me the ones that are doing just five might be like the furniture sales, exactly. People, right. Yes. Whereas the ones that are doing fifty are like the coffee shops, right? Quick service restaurant, whatever quick, it is, yeah, right? Whatever. Sure. So, but anyway, okay. yeah, I, 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 thirteen, I thought was a low, was a low average number. Yeah, but, it is. Yeah. But here's uh, the top ten spending states for local retail sa- sales, which I thought was uh, interesting. It was um, Alaska was the was the uh, top spender with mm-hmm. uh, thirteen ninety four. Okay. Okay. So really, Alaska. Alaska. And I was thinking, <laughs> but you know, and I've never been to Alaska. I have to admit, it's one of the few states I haven't been to. But people who go there say everything is really expensive in Alaska because they have to import so much. They have much. to import everything. Okay. Right. But still, though, that. But you wouldn't know, you think Hawaii? And Hawaii's not in this top 10 list. And I would have thought Hawaii would have, would have been well, the same thing. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean, your, your average, this is not the average transaction size. <clears throat> this is the no, average, da- average daily, daily revenue, revenue. Right. Yeah, average daily revenue. So to me, the average daily revenue I mean that also is predicated on how how many transactions are going through right so so if you look at like that 13 those 13 transactions for <laughs> right. example right, right. that's a hundred dollars a transaction for 
for Alaska. For Alaska. Right. But that's also but that's also saying that Alaska is the average state in terms of number of transactions right. where right. I would imagine they would be much lower. Lower, right? You yeah, know? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. I mean, I would okay. think so. This I would think so. Okay, Utah came in number 2, uh just under 1300. Minnesota at a little over 1200. Delaware at just under 1200. North Carolina a little bit lower, uh, 1187. Nevada, 1154. Washington State, 1141. North Dakota, 1127. Wisconsin, 1125. And my home state of Maryland, 1108. Hmm. So, which is actually, I thought, again, that that's, uh, you know, it's a nice, it's a lot higher than this $961 average. Right. But again, like you say, it, yeah. you wonder. It's what, this, that's, that's one of those numbers where, again, being a math geek myself, yeah. you know, I look at stuff like that and I'm like, well, you would need significantly more data to gain any real, real insights, insights from that. Because, like, it, you'd need to know by state what's the average number of transactions, you know, what's the average daily thing, Correct. what's the average ticket. Yeah. Um, and then, really, you'd even need to quartile that more and just really seeing that. So, anyway, I'm, I'm too much of a data geek to enjoy uh, numbers like that. But it's, but you know, again, they're interesting it, numbers. It, it is interesting, yeah. And then they also had some other, um, the report had some other uh, interesting trends. For example, um, most local retailers do not see their biggest sales lift during the year-end holiday season. Huh. Um, despite conventional wisdom, November and December are not the top two revenue months, either nationally or in any one state. Well, and again, I think, I think again, these, this study is, is just um, almost flawed because it's so broad. Yeah, I agree. It's right? very because, broad. Because in very other words, is it, it, you know, are November and December the biggest revenue months for retailers? Yes, yeah. there's there's no way you could dispute. I've seen the data. Sure, sure. But is it the biggest month when you include retailers, restaurants, auto repair shops, bridal shops, veterinarians? Right. It's know? like, well, maybe not. Right. You know. But here was an interesting thing on a local, on a state level. Mother's Day weekend is the top spending period in, in about twelve <laughs> of the states. Really. And it's a top uh, five in um, in forty four states. So really. I, which I found interesting, and again, I'm older. You know, my mother's been gone for you know right, quite right, a while, right. so it's right. like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what it's Mother's Day, but yeah, I'm trying to think of that. I mean, I guess it is. I guess it is interesting when you think about that, though, because you know, Mother's Day. I hadn't thought. I mean, for me, on Mother's Day, that means I'm buying something for Christina. Right. That means. I let Alana and Donnie, it's one time a year where I let them go to the store and pick out whatever they want for their right. mom, and I will buy it. Right. Last year, that was like a ring that Alana, <laughs> like, you really? know. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, you know, then I'm also buying something for my mom. Correct. And so, yeah, I could. I guess I could see that. There yeah. definitely be some right? spending trends There's there. There's definitely sure, some spending. Sure. Um, similar to their big box competitors, Black Friday is a huge revenue opportunity for small shops. It comes in as a number five uh, day of the year for consumer spending. Sure. Small business Saturday, though, doesn't bring in much of a revenue lift, uh, coming in at number 81 for consumer spending. Sure. Which doesn't surprise it me. It doesn't surprise me either. It's you never know? been something that was... Yeah, and it's only, what, maybe 10, 15 years old? Well, and it's one of those things where you're never going to get the kind of lift from something that's fragmented like that. Right. It's not like... It's not like... If, if everybody knew, okay, no matter what small business I go into locally, they're going right. to have 30% off. No. Then you would do it, but that's not what it that's is. That's not what it is. I mean, you right. know, remember, it started off as an Amex way to get people, you know... To, right, to use their Amex cards. To use their Amex yeah. cards, so... Sure. sure. 
the two busiest days of the week for shopping at small retailers are Fridays and Saturdays. No surprise there. No. Average number of transactions on Friday is 14. And the average national ticket is about uh, $76. Um, 17 transactions, though, is the national average on Saturdays. And those states in those uh, stores that are open on Sunday... The average uh, they average uh, fifteen transactions at an average ticket of fifty nine dollars. So that's weird. So people spend more money, or they they there's more transactions on Sunday than Friday, but the average ticket is lower. Right. So whatever people are doing Sunday, they're not making any significant purchases. I guess. Right, and it's probably like the end huh. of the you know Friday. I think of Friday as going out to dinner, going right. to the movies, You're spending more. Sure. Sort of like date uh, night, as some people call that it. Actually, right? I find kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 Huh, okay. And then uh, the f- five days for um, local, top five days for local uh, businesses nationwide. Uh, the Friday and Saturday before Christmas. Sure. The Friday before Mother's Day. The Saturday before Mother's Day. Black Friday. Well, in that order. Yeah, in that order. So the Friday and Saturday before Christmas is actually a top is actually a higher than Black Friday. And and think about this because especially when when I had when I had a large Christmas list. Right, right. It was usually the last weekend when right. I went out and oh, yeah, did I, all my binge shopping. Yeah, I mean I, that's what I would Black do. Black Friday is like in fact I was talking to a friend the other day and she's like, "Oh, Black Friday's coming." I'm like, she's like, "I can't wait." And I'm like, I can. Right. You know? <laughs> well, and that's funny. Like, I'm the same way as you. I, I, you know, I would never do Black Friday. But um, Christina, my wife, she loves Black Friday. That's right. her thing. And so she goes out and does all the Christmas shopping on Black Friday because she wants to save $1,000 or whatever. Right, and she right. just loves it. She gets such Oh, a, it's like the bargains you get. Yes, yeah. Right. She comes home and she's like, do you know how much money I saved tonight? And I'm like, uh, how much did you spend? <laughs> right. That would be my question too, right? Uh, but, you know. I had some friends. One, I remember one year I was uh, with, with my in-laws on Thanksgiving, and we had to have Thanksgiving dinner early, right? Because right. my mother-in-law had to go get, you know, there was this TV that was going right. to be on yes, sale, yes, yes, and she had to be online by four o'clock in the morning. Right. I'm like, I'm never getting up at four o'clock in no. the morning to wait on a line. No. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I remember one time I did Black Friday, uh, where um, you know they there was like too many things in Walmart that our family wanted, right? And so they needed, and somebody had to be in line at each of these things, right? So they convinced me somehow to go over there. I don't remember <laughs> when I got there, some ridiculous hour, and uh, they actually had. A, I told them I was like, I'll be there, and so they got me a, a chair I could sit in, <laughs> and I had a book, and I just read a book. All right, and right. then when it was time, I got. Got the thing off the shelf. I walked up. I checked out. I went home. So that was that's that, that's the that is the only Black Friday shopping I think I've ever done. So. But you know the other <laughs> thing about waiting online on you know the end of November is how cold it can be up here. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, you, you Florida listeners, you're you're in luck down there. Yeah, you are. I mean, so. I'll tell you what. Uh, I, when James was describing sitting in the chair with a book, I was one. You know, if I was smart. I'd be out selling coffee to people online. Right, right. <laughs> now, I was actually inside there because it was Walmart. Oh. So Walmart, they let you wait in different oh, lines right inside. In the hallway, for, at least right? they did back to, you know, seven or eight years ago. But, but uh, with some of these lines, you know. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. crazy. Well, it's actually really interesting data. I think, I think some big takeaways for me is like I didn't realize that there was that few transactions. And that really makes you think about the kind of the average retailer and how important – that transaction is. Yes. I mean, my goodness, you only got 13, 14 people in there a day. You, you better, better be getting be their email to... address. You better be getting their phone number. You better be marketing to them. Right. Because using Wompley. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, so. and, and, and you should, you know, maybe 
expand out your offerings, like yeah. we were talking with Bob yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, the, and the you know credit options. Right, right. Because you, you know some of these people that might be why they're not spending right. as much. You know, it's so funny. I mean, from a numbers perspective, it's so funny because I've known for years that my a lot of my merchants that were kind of my medium sized merchants were doing two hundred to four hundred transactions a month. Right. Which if you if I just never divided out. it out. Yeah, like, that's yeah, that's like only like 15 a day. Not Well, not even when you, because like, it's just credit card side. Now, this is with both credit and cash, I'm assuming. Correct. But Correct. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, eight or nine transactions. I mean, it's very, very minimal. So, right. yeah, right. that's actually really interesting. So, good stuff, Patty. Yeah, thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optical program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, I'm going to do something different here for the next few uh, segments, uh, my segment on the podcast. I'm going to do uh, some tips for managers. Oh, good idea. So we usually talk more about kind of the salespeople in this segment, but I'm going to talk more about the managers. And I'm going to focus for the next three weeks on what I believe are kind of these three pillars. So whenever I get a new consulting client that I'm working with that's trying to increase the number of uh, merchant accounts, mm-hmm. um, I always focus on three things. It's very simple. It's recruit, train, activate. Right. Recruit, train, activate. So those are the three things. Sure. If you get all three of those right, you know, you are have a booming ISO that's doing tons of deals. Mm-hmm. If you get any one of those wrong, it will ruin the other two. Mm-hmm. They're they're not mutually exclusive. They are dependent upon each other. Um, if you recruit the wrong person, you can train them until you're blue in the face. You can work on accountability and try to get them going. They're going to fail. Right. Um, if you train, if you recruit the right person and you offer them no training. You can try to activate them as much as you want. It's not going to work. Sure. They're not going to make sales. Right. You could recruit the right person. You could train them effectively, and then you could fail to hold them accountable and provide them with support, wow. and they're not going to sell. Sure. So you have to have all three of them. So today I want to talk a little bit about recruiting. Now, the challenge when I was thinking about doing these little segments is that, number one, these are short segments. Usually I would talk for four or five hours with somebody about this stuff, right? right. But the other big challenge is that, you know, it's different for everybody because there's some people that are re- that are recruiting W-2 mm-hmm. and there's some people recruiting 1099 and, and all the things that go into that. So I want to talk about some things that I feel like kind of go across the spectrum and deal with all of those things. Okay. So number one, when you're trying to recruit a person that knows how to sell, the first thing is that you need to talk to them about things that they've sold in the past, mm-hmm. and this is the important one, get them to give you the pitch for the thing that they've sold in the past. Oh, yes. I don't know why nobody does this, but to me, sure. if I'm hiring somebody, you know- I want to hear how they pitch. Right. If I'm hiring a mechanic, if I, if I had an auto repair shop and I'm hiring, hiring a mechanic and the mechanic says, well, I'm really good at working on, you know, I can do an oil change really quickly. 
Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, great, I have a car out here that needs an oil change. Let me watch you do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to believe you. Right. Like, sure. what am I, stupid? No. You know? Right. So when somebody comes in and says, oh, I was selling uh, I was selling Mercedes-Benz before. I was selling houses before, and I was amazing. Right. And you're like, cool. Let's hear how you do it. Yeah, like, that. don't stop there. I'm like, okay, awesome. So then what you have to do is, you have to, this takes a little bit of work, because what you have to do is you have to build a hypothetical situation. Okay, You sure. can't just ask them, like, give me your pitch. Right, it's like, sure. You got to say, okay, so let's say that they're selling houses. And you're like, all right, cool. So let's say, you know, here, you know, again, I'm James. I have my wife, Christina. We have uh, three kids, another one on the way. Mm-hmm. And we just found a house. It's a five-bedroom, you know, whatever, right? And I describe a house. Right. And I'm like... Tell me what you would do to get me to buy that house. What would the process look like? Okay. And I want them to describe it. Mm -hmm. If they stutter around it and give me nothing, I'm Uh, not going to hire that person. They don't know how to sell. I'm telling you, a good salesperson, like really good salespeople, you can give them a little bit of information about anything and they can make a decent pitch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could sell ice to an Eskimo and make it sound good. Now, they may not buy, but I mean, I could make it sound really good, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So number one is make sure that they have that core kind of sales ability where they know how to sell something and make it kind of sound good. Right. Um, and the other thing that's going to test is when your recruiting process, it's going to test their willingness to be kind of put on the spot. Sure. If, if it makes them, you're like, wow, they were just way too nervous to pitch me during this interview. Mm-hmm. How do you think they're going to be when they go walk into a business cold turkey? Right. You know, right. a good salesperson, even if they're really nervous, they have the ability to project confidence. Mm-hmm. And so when you're interviewing these people, that's, that's really crucial to make sure that they have that core ability. Two other tips I want to give you on recruiting. Number number two, or I guess this is the second one, so I have three. So number two is ask them about what sales programs and sales books have impacted them most in the last six months. And why. And why. Um, and ask them what sales book or sales program are you going through right now? Oh, yes. So um, this actually, this tip comes from Brian Tracy a long time ago, uh-huh. um, and he was talking about how a client he'd worked with where he, that was the only question. And so this guy, he would ask him all these other questions, and then he would get to a point and he'd say, what sales book are you reading right now? And if they told him about a sales book, he would hire them. If they said that they weren't reading one, he didn't. That's just, that was his only criteria. Wow. And he built a huge sales team because he found all the salespeople that are looking to improve themselves. Mm-hmm. And sure. so now that comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes today. You know, they might say, well, I've really been following Grant Cardone lately and I watch two or three of his videos every morning. Right. Mm -hmm. Good. That's fine. Like whatever. Right. But they need to be excited about their learning and then ask them, what did you learn? What have you learned lately? What's a new closing technique? Like a good salesperson. You know, it's so funny, Patty. Like I always tell people, you know, I have a few friends who are like legitimate sales professionals. I have a guy named Josh Bryan, really good friend of mine in a different industry. He used to work for me a long time ago. Uh And now he's a multimillionaire, has his own company in lawn care. And You know, I always joke with him that I say, when we talk, if people heard our conversation, they would probably be like, what is wrong with these guys? What are they <laughs> like? We'll, we'll debate like a word for like five or 10 minutes. Really? You know, like, you know, I had this pitch, like, for instance, he recently told me, he's like, oh, I, he had to call me. I got to tell you this line. And again, this guy is worth millions of dollars and still goes out and sells small ticket lawn care services because he just loves to sell and he trains his team out in the field. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, I got to tell you this thing. He says, you know how people are always saying, I really need to think about it. And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I came up with the best thing for that. I, when they say, I need to think about it, I say, yeah, what do you think about it? And I smile. 
And he said, when I smile, they always laugh if I do it right. And then it opens up this conversation. We talked for like 45 minutes about that. Uh-huh. Why does that work? What's the sales psychology behind that? Like, So the reason I'm saying all this is when you're recruiting somebody for a sales position, they should be passionate about sales. Yes. And they should really enjoy it because it's hard. Mm-hmm. And if you're right off the bat, you don't even really enjoy talking about it. You're definitely not going to be successful in this industry. That's a tough yeah, you know, sure. sales job. So we talked about. Um, their past experience, you know, get them to actually try to sell you on something. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they learning today? And then next, get them to describe for you. And, and maybe this isn't even a particular question. It's more of just kind of the overall theme. How do they describe themselves? Ask them what kind of ask them a broad question. What kind of person are you? Wow, that's a broad question. What are your, how would your friends describe you? Mm-hmm. What are your strengths and weaknesses? Or how would you also, I would imagine, how, how, do, how do prospects and clients describe you? Yeah, if I went back to your clients, you know. Right. Because here's the thing. What you're looking for is obviously they're not going to give you an accurate description of how their friends really would describe them. They're really going to say how they describe themselves. Sure. Right? But right. that's fine. That's what you need to know about them. Mm-hmm. It's very important how they envision themselves. I'll give you a really good example. Hopefully, I don't think my, my uh, trainer at the gym listens to my podcast, so I'm assuming he doesn't. <laughs> um, but I have a trainer at the gym, and uh, he is somebody that I know could make a lot more money than he makes. And so I'm always kind of encouraging him along those lines. Mm-hmm. And today, I, w- I was working out, and I can't remember what we were saying. Something about a vac- I just got a vacation house that we're going to, and I was telling him about it or whatever, and he's like, oh, I'll never have enough money to go to a place like that. Uh-huh. And he's like, do you think I will? And I said, I think that you're going to make as much money as you think you're going to make. Yes, exactly. And it's true. I mean, it's like I feel bad. I know this is a guy that can make $100,000 a year, no doubt. He makes very little. But the reason is simply because in his mind, he hasn't gotten to the place where he can envision himself doing this. Mm-hmm. So how does he describe himself? Right. Well, sure. he describes himself as somebody who's you know doesn't have a lot of money. Just getting by, scraping by. Scraping by. Right. If that's the kind of salesperson that you're interviewing, run away. That's, oh, for sure. They, their ceiling is just way too low. Right. 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 And so you can ask him a lot of different questions to get to this. I've even used questions before about satisfaction questions. Uh-huh. I'll say... Let me, let me present you with a scenario just so I can understand the job fit. Let's imagine a scenario where you were making $5,000 a month and you knew that you could never get above that, or at least you couldn't get above that for a period of, let's say, 24 months. But you were at 5000 a month. You uh-huh. knew that even no matter how hard you worked, you couldn't get to 6000 a month. You were stuck at 5000 for 24 months. How would you feel about that position? And some people will say, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> Wrong really? answer. Yeah. If you're in sales, you should say, I, I, would imme- double that. I would immediately quit. Yeah. And I would go find something where I could make $10,000 a month. Like, I, I want to have the, I, I at least want to know I have the opportunity to take my talent to the next level and make more money. Right. So you're looking for people like that. So here's what I would challenge you to do. What I just described to you, th- those are all conversations and questions that you can have with the 1099 potential or W2. Or W. Right. Have that conversation. And even if you're one of these places that's basically hiring everybody that's warm and breathing air, understand that if they pass this test, this is at least you know this is one of those people you can invest more time in. Exactly. Maybe you're bringing on everybody, but at least you know these are the people you want to invest more time in. So I'd highly sure. encourage you to think about recruiting. Think about mm-hmm. not recruiting in, how do I get more warm bodies in the door? No, no. How do you find more top sales professionals and get them excited about your opportunity? Yes. So there's your tip for today on recruiting. Next week, we're going to talk about training. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. 
The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.